We're bringing you all you need to succeed in the real estate business. It's Spilling the LT, brought to you by Lawyer's Title, telling you what it's really like to work in real estate. Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Tamara Gady. And if you like our content, you're really going to love my escrow team. So let's get a conversation going about your title needs. And I'm really excited about my episode today. It's going to be another one in my Participate in Life Together series. Today, we're going to talk about how to build generation generational wealth. And I brought on the show today, Greg Foster. He is the wealth management consultant for Spectrum Financial Group. He's my personal wealth manager. And I wanted him to come on the show today to talk about, again, how to build generational wealth. And a lot of you, since we're all in real estate, we've seen the market slow down. And so we're all trying to figure out how are we going to continue to plan for retirement or the next phase in life. And so I'm really excited to have Greg come on the show with me today and talk about how to get set up with a wealth management um, consultant and then what you should be uh, asking, what looking for, and what kind of plans you should be making in the future. So welcome to the show, Greg. I'm excited you're here. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here for sure. I had Dr. Wendell, your buddy, a couple of weeks ago come in and talk about uh, um, uh, wellness. And so I'm really excited to have another section of the Participate in Life Together series and have have us cover our financial wellness. Absolutely. So. He has better hair than me, but outside of that, uh, I can hold my own against well, him. Unless he wants got to a fight. haircut. Yeah. <laughs> I disagreed with you. I will disagree with you. He was working on a man bun for a while. I don't know <laughs> yeah, if he's still Charlie going that and direction. I both hated that. Not that I get an opinion, but anyway. I love it. I love it. That guy's the best. So um, super excited again. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's jump. I like to jump right in um, because otherwise we'll just start to lose a bunch of attention here. So let's start with the first question. What do most people ask you? It's actually a three-part question. Okay. okay. So what do most people ask you when they meet with you for the first time? But also, what are the right questions to ask and sure. what are the wrong questions to ask? So if yeah. you want to interview someone to sit down and help you build generational wealth or, or wealth for your, the rest of your life, what are, what are they looking to ask you? Sure. Yeah, a lot of times the conversation is starting with whatever is kind of hot right now. You know, two years ago it was Bitcoin or whatever it might be. Sometimes there's something on the news or on our social media feed that is sexy, and people are thinking about it. And that gets them thinking about, well, should I be doing that? Or what should I be doing to capitalize on that market or whatever it might be? Um, that oftentimes starts the conversation. But what it's almost always about is the concept of getting a better rate of return. You know, whatever is sexy at the time, the whole reason they're even interested in that is finding something they could potentially buy or put money into that gets them this maybe pie in the sky rate of return that seems better than everything else that they know about. And so that's typically where people start with when they're just, when they find out what I do or hear that I'm, you know, working with people's money or whatever it might be. It starts there oftentimes. And, and I would say that that's a really fun conversation and I'm happy to entertain it and maybe even give some um, examples of what my clients are doing in those spaces. Cause they're not always bad just because they're sexy, like the Bitcoin conversation a couple years ago. Um, but the reality is most of the time, the, the root behind that question is just about the idea of how can I be either a good steward of my money or more specifically, how can I become financially independent? Uh, and that is the right question to be asking, I think, outside of just focusing on um, products or topics that accomplish that goal. It's just a, a holistic question of, hey, 
how can I be financially independent within my sector, within my, you know, individual situation, be it with real estate or whatever else it might be, my income, my expenses, my uh, wealth that I've already built or have yet to start building, whatever it might be. The right question is, how can I be um, how can I become financially independent as quickly as possible? Not necessarily focus on the traditional American dream retirement word, but I like the idea of becoming financially independent much more um, than just retirement because it doesn't limit it to age. It might be something that if you're in your 30s, the goal is to become financially independent in your 50s. Uh, if you're in your 50s, it might be focusing on how can I then retire and be a little bit more traditional with things. You know, uh, and I warned you this was going to happen, that I don't always follow the Rabbit script. trail. Here we go. <laughs> and this is sheer coincidence, but I'm a documentary freak. I okay. love to watch documentaries. And I just happened to watch the documentary last night on the GameStop saga. Yeah, cool. And, have you seen it on Netflix? I haven't. I've heard a lot of people talking about it. Okay. Falls so, into the category of something sexy to talk about. Yeah, correct. And so ago. when you yeah. started off with sexy investments, what's the hot thing? And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I just watched that last night. Sure. And the whole time I'm watching it, right? So you're seeing people jump in yep. where that stock is going through the roof and they're doing, what was it called? A something squeeze, um, a short squeeze. Yep. They're doing a short squeeze, exactly. right? Trying to kick the hedge funds out the door. Mm -hmm. And, but the point was, the point is, is when I was watching that, I found it myself thinking, this is never what I, something I would do. Sure. It's very risky. At the end, they, they had this gentleman from California, um, young guy, all he, <laughs> what he, all he wanted to do was live in a big house and have hot chicks around him all the time. Yeah. He actually said that. Have a couple of Lamborghinis. Yeah. In <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nothing and wrong with that. So sure. he made like $500,000 no, no, no. It was multiple millions yeah. of dollars. And then it tanked down. And he ended up losing 500,000. He had to sell the house. Right. Yep. And he's, he's got nothing. And his, his answer was YOLO. Right. And I'm sitting there going, that would scare the living daylights out of me. Sure. Right. And then, so, so there are these people, these retail investors, you know, everything's accessible now on your phone and mm -hmm. it's easy to do some, you know, trades. And so all these people hopped on this GameStop you know, surge and sent their stock through the roof. But then a bunch of people didn't get out in time. They lost their shirt. Right. Yeah. And then there's the people who just kind of truck along with their 401k investment. Right. Just kind of doing this, this, the tried and true steady way of investing Yeah, the system they know. And then there's something in the middle. Sure. Right. Yeah. Between the high risk and the, and the no risk. <laughs> yeah. So totally. I think talking about what's in the middle and especially because a lot of my real estate audience doesn't have the safety of a 401k, right? Yeah. They're all 1099 contract employees. And so kind of talking about how they can take their commission income and start to build wealth outside of traditional, you know, a lot of us invest totally. in real estate, right? Yeah. But I think talking about what's in the middle. Yep. Any any hot market idea, I, I really don't have a problem with my clients playing those games. Sure. As long as they're utilizing money that um, either they can afford to lose or they're taking it out of certain types of assets that um, are non-typical. They're not draining a 401k to throw it all in GameStop, or they're not taking all of their cash reserves and throwing it into Bitcoin. Um, there, there is a middle way that is much more uh, realistic that you can take money out of an account, and it's not going to cause harm if you take that loss or, or never get to pay it back or whatever it might be. 
Um, again, this comes back to just, hey, having a plan that you're operating in and, and knowing for certain what you're doing without feeling like you have to get lucky to become financially independent. I think that's kind of what that game is so many times. People are concerned with the traditional path, be it 401k, IRA, brokerage account only. And if you think about it long enough, you realize that game doesn't necessarily provide financial independence like maybe we thought it would. And so there's always this hope of something sexy bailing us out. And the media is really good, social media specifically, at making those things look like, you know, a pile of gold at the end of a rainbow. When in reality, there, there's nothing wrong with those investments. It's just about doing it out of a really good um, plan that's structured for what you're trying to accomplish and not feeling like you have to get lucky to become financially independent. And I've, you know, a lot of real estate top real estate professionals got very wealthy during the Bitcoin jump and, you know, find alternative ways to build wealth, right? Which I think there's absolutely, I I love alternative ways to build wealth. However, I also don't have a high risk tolerance. And so some of the things that I've seen, I've sat back and kind of questioned, sure, I'm missing a big, you know, spike in what's sexy right now. And, but I also feel like there's a lot of us that, just don't want to risk, yeah. you know, another, I was sick. So I was at home watching documentaries on sure. the couch. Yes. <laughs> and another one I watched was about, um, a Bitcoin scandal yeah. with a, um, I don't remember what the name was complicated. It was a f- outfit out of Canada where the guy embezzled like Ugh. millions and millions of yeah. people's dollars and they just lost everything. And so a lot of that Bitcoin universe is just not really regulated and there's not a lot of recourse when someone does something like that. So, you know, that kind of stuff, playing in those sandboxes, I know is really exciting and really sexy, but I think there's um, a way to take some level of risk to generate wealth, but you can be safe at the same time, right? Totally. And so I like what you said about taking money that you can afford to lose. It's your slush fund. It's your play money. But you've got things set aside to really make sure that you're sustaining your life, right? So a question I have is how should a real estate professional kind of look at their overall portfolio when you sit down with with someone that's in real estate? Yeah, it's really common. Uh, You could, you know, call it real estate professional or anyone that's in a specific market. So it doesn't really matter. A business owner, a salesperson, a real estate person in any space, uh, they're just working within a a specialty market for them. Uh, And oftentimes, regardless of that specialty market, people are reinvesting back into what they know. And that's usually their best place of rate of return because it's not insider information. It's just knowing more than the regular Joe about what move to make and win inside of that sector. And that typically is a good way to build wealth. Um, the, the problem with that scenario is that oftentimes we found, find ourselves really just kind of exposed to the risk of one singular market. Real estate is the perfect example for that. Um, so much of the wealth in America, has the world even, has been built via real estate. And yet there's been plenty of times where you can, you know, be real estate poor because you have all these holdings and it's not time to sell any of them or whatever it might be. Um, or you can take a loss or whatever it is. But the, the specific thing to um, take into account for me is regardless of the market you're in, uh, right now we're focusing on real estate, it's really important to understand that there are assets outside of that market that will be non-correlated to that thing. Non-correlated mean it has nothing to do with what your real right. estate is doing going up and down. 
have something else that's completely separate from that, that is operating with growth in a different way. So having a good balance with the right ratios, uh, that's kind of what I do is help people analyze their ratios for what they have and what they can add or subtract. Um, Getting the right ratios in different buckets then provides um, some more security for what I would call like a volatility buffer. When the market market of real estate is down, what other non-correlated assets have you built that you can either pull from if you're financially independent and not working anymore, or buy more real estate out of or whatever it might be when the market is down and it's time to buy. So not feeling like you have to sell a property to buy a new one when the market is down, but having something else outside of that to then capitalize on that market when you know it's a good time to buy. But you can't do that if all of your you know, savings and wealth are inside of that one sector. And I love that approach. I love a diverse approach to whatever it is that you're focused on, right? Sure. Because my client portfolio is a great example. It's very diverse because I want to be able to weather whatever real estate downturn, you know, traditional real estate yep. is down. Okay, my investors are buying, right? So exactly. my my portfolio for my clients keeps me in, you know, in the black when I'm when I'm working with, you know, working for the company. So when you came to me and you said, "Okay, because I'm I'm a real estate investor, right? I have real estate holdings and I had been focused on the last several years on building that portfolio." And so one of the conversations that we had is how do you become more diverse and how do you build something that you can leverage and go buy more real estate property with later? Sure. So I that was one of the things that attracted me to working with you is the fact that you kind of look at this whole picture, right? It's not just a 401k or real estate holdings. It's looking at a, at a balanced portfolio so that you can weather volatility. Yeah. And, and I would say that applies to something that you haven't asked me today, but we've talked about in the past for uh, colleagues of yours or, or what, whatever it might be. Oh, so you're going off script now. You've asked, you've <laughs> asked me, hey, what should people be looking for when they're thinking about working with a financial advisor, a wealth yeah. manager, whatever it Absolutely. might be? Absolutely. Like what questions yeah. should they ask? What should they be looking for? Let's talk about that. And so that topic for me is all about the idea of um, you can kind of sniff out the traditional financial advisor when... Um, they're not really aligning with whatever your maybe short-term to midterm goals are. If, if it's really just focused on retirement, uh, what that says to me is they're potentially looking for parking your money in a vehicle that really isn't accessible until 59 and a half. That's kind of the, the retirement asset age uh, of liquidity. And so I would say that if you're a real estate professional and buying more real estate is important to you, um, and you're not over the age of 59 and a half, it's going to be really important to understand, uh, to look for somebody who is helping you stay liquid through the course of the rest of your career as an investor to then uh, build wealth in a different way outside of just an IRA or whatever that might be. So um, when you're looking for a, a financial professional to work with, it's really important to me to, to know that people are looking for somebody that that isn't just planning solely for traditional retirement age. And that's their definition of financial independence. You know, and so I'll, I'll be vulnerable here, you know, because I, I have a tendency to take people based on recommendation and I don't, it's, it's a, a maybe it's an investigative flaw of mine sure. where I don't do a ton of research on my own to make sure that that person is a match before I jump in. It's so hard to know. Too. I end up, you know, doing something and then later I'm like, um, 
how do I get out of this? You know? And so I had, you know, you're aware of my backstory where I had been recommended another financial planner. Sure. And um, when I came to you, I was extremely frustrated at what he had put me in, in as far as investing was concerned. And and then, and then the question was, how do I get out of this? Right. And, and then, and then you have to think about, well, how expensive is it going to be to get out of whatever it is that this person put you in when you guys aren't communicating well, and you can figure out that you're not really a match to keep going down the road. So can you give us some specific questions that would help someone interview a financial planner yeah. or a wealth manager? Yeah, I think, um, I think going through their process is really important. So you don't have to go in extremely skeptical, but um, just kind of have in the back of your mind that you want to be very clear with communicating to them what's important to you and make sure that they're not deviating from that. And so most, most financial planners are, are pretty good about hearing that. Uh, just make sure that there's never a turn where the majority of your saving strategies are going into a bucket that is more important to them than it is to you. And so a question to ask in that space is, you know, what are we solving for? Do we understand the five-year goal? Like that, I, I would call that kind of a short-term to mid-term goal. Um, I would ask, you know, things like, what is the timeline for this type of investment? What is the timeline for this type of saving strategy or this type of asset? Um, and what is your expectation for when I could be able to utilize that for what's important to me, aka buying real estate? you know, whatever it might be. Um, that's maybe specific to the real estate, you know, market type person that is really trying to just build wealth via buying real estate. If they're going into a financial advisor's office and all the topic of conversation is about is traditional things that they've heard of, like managing their 401k, creating an IRA, or, you know, just a brokerage account or whatever it is, um, those all fall into a space that would um, be just traditional financial financial planning with market assets only. And so um, brokerage account is much more liquid. That's essentially a, you know, a savings account with access to buying and selling stocks. But sure. IRAs, if that's all it's focused on and that's not important to you, then understand that that's just probably not a good relationship because they're not talking to you about financial independence. They're talking to you about retirement. And so just- Okay, whoa, 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 let's stop there. Okay, because yeah. that's a really big golden nugget. Okay. Yeah. Financial independence versus retirement. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a really important distinguishing um, idea here. For sure. And I love what you said about you need to go in with clear ideas about what your goals are in certain segments of your life, right? Yeah. So what is your zero to five-year goal? And we're, we talk about goals all the time in real estate, right? Yeah. Everybody's, you know, goal setting and business planning and all right. the, you know, make your calls and all that stuff. But when it comes to building wealth, you apply the same principles you do to building your business, right? What are your zero to five year financial goals? What are your five to 10, right? And so on and so on. Mm -hmm. And be very specific about the sandboxes you want to play in financially, right? Do you want to be able to build real estate, right? Sure. Uh, real estate portfolio. Do you want to be able to diversify what you're already doing? What are you specifically trying to accomplish? Yeah, exactly. And so you have to start with clear communication to someone like you in order for you to be able to make the right recommendations, right? That's it. Yeah, it would be really common <clears throat> for somebody that meets me for the first time, back to the first question of asking me, what do I recommend to my clients? You know, what products, what strategies? And that is, 
the only way to answer that is to say it, it depends on the situation. Like whatever is important to my client at that point, I'm, I'm going to kind of go back to the lab and figure that out. Well, um, and I love that you said that too, because that's one of our questions. It was a scenario. So like someone has $50,000 in the bank, 50 K invested and it makes 350,000 a year. They don't have a high net worth yet. So how would you help them? Sure. And then how is that different than someone with 1 million in the bank? makes 150,000 a year and is close to retirement, right? Yeah. So now we're starting to talk about specific strategies based on where that person is at. Okay. So for this scenario with two different types of examples, we've got a, a younger person with, I would call high income, 350 a year. That's nice. Uh, capacity to save hopefully is there out of that 350. Um, you would think so. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Sometimes not though. I mean, it's, really? e it's easy to, to make 500K a year and just spend it all. Yeah, <laughs> I see that a lot. Uh, wow. It's a thing. That would scare the living daylights out of me. Yeah. Okay. So we, we, you know, in that scenario, we got a little bit more going back yeah. to the drawing board for than sure. we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Okay. This is also- uh, <laughs> Live within, live below your means, people. <laughs> correct. This probably encompasses the other question too of like what to- um, ask financial advisors or financial professionals if the only answer you get uh, when you you know ask for solutions and they tell you the answer is save more money then that is a problem for me typically I want to see a financial professional reallocate with a zero meaning they're just gonna maybe show you something that improves your situation within what you're already doing without demanding that you give them more money than you're currently saving to make everything work and so all that to say, if you're used to saving, you know, the 10% of 350 a year, if you're used to saving 35K a year and you go to this financial professional and say, this is what I'm doing, what does it get me? And their answer is, well, you have to save $50,000 a year. That's a, a red flag for me. I would want to hear them say, hey, this is what you're doing within 35K a year right now. Here's what I would recommend within 35K a year and show those kind of black and white back to back and then give you the option, hey, this is what that provides hypothetically. If you want to you know, talk about what more savings capacity does, that's a different conversation, but I want to hear somebody net zero first. Well, so, well, well, okay. So that's really interesting with that approach as well, because traditionally what I've always heard is how much we need to figure out how much money you need for retirement. And then we back that down. Right. Sure. And then there's this number, this giant number yeah. that you're supposed to save every month or every year, whatever it is. And so then there's all this pressure to, to figure out how to get that bucket yeah. full every year. And I've never, I've never responded well to that approach. Yeah. And this is why people feel like they have to get lucky and find something sexy that's going to blow it up. Because that big number, if you do the math on it, is most of the time out of reach with traditional financial planning. If all we're doing is 401k IRA brokerage account with maybe a single family home, uh, it's going to be hard to get to $10 million if that's your number, hypothetically. Um, the problem with that approach is that people are focusing on rate of return and then something that most people haven't figured out yet. Uh, there's a concept called a safe rate of distribution off of that big number that you can safely pull to pay yourself in retirement. And the traditional financial advising, you know, CFP advice is going to be a low number in that space. Three to 4% is kind of the industry standard. If you have $1 million, you can pay yourself, let's say 3% of that a year at age 65 and on. That's $30,000 a year for retirement income. And that's not enough for anyone. And that's with a million bucks in the bank or in assets. So 
all that to say, back to the, the example of the two people, um, there's, a, there's a concept that is kind of climbing a mountain and then um, coming down that mountain. So if you're on an expedition, the goal for a mountain climb isn't just to climb up and then get to the top and then that's the end of the journey. The goal is climb the mountain, get to the top, take a selfie, and then get back down safely. Sure. Right? So in my world, the way that I look at that is building wealth is going up the mountain. We're accumulating wealth. That's the accumulation phase of wealth building. Then there's a moment at the top. I would call that the moment of financial independence. That's when we say, okay, our bucket is built. Now we have to figure out how to safely get down that mountain. That would be the distribution phase, meaning we're now paying ourselves out of our assets indefinitely until the day that we die. And so that is safely making it down the other side. For tr traditional financial planning, that accumulation phase is market assets only. Um, 401k, IRA, right. brokerage account, real estate, whatever it might be. Those are all markets. And then we get to the top and the safe rate of distribution is 3%. And so wah, you, have to, yeah, you have to find a way <laughs> to build a big enough mountain so that 3% yeah. gets you enough indefinitely for the rest of your life. It just sounds arduous, like yeah. just really difficult. <laughs> yeah, well, that's complex because the reason why that system exists at all in America is that all of the tools that I mentioned, the 401k, IRA, brokerage account, those were all supposed to be supplemental to a pension from your employer. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. We don't have those anymore. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Who has those? I think railroad guys yeah. or something. <laughs> it's not a lot. Yeah. Uh, My dad has pensions, sure. a military, you know, things like that. So not the rest of us. Okay? Yeah. You don't hear about those much. Yeah. The idea though is if you had a pension and it was paying you, let's say you're used to making 100K a year and it was paying you $80,000 a year from that pension indefinitely, well, then your job is just to find a way to build wealth that provides you kind of inflation protection Got to it. pay yourself, you know, maybe that 20 K a year to get you a full 100. Or maybe you're the person that says I'm good on 80 in retirement because my expenses have gone down. I just want to make sure that I can give myself a 3% raise indefinitely to beat inflation. And so that system works if you have an 80% pension. The problem is when pensions went away, we asked those supplemental things to be everything for our financial independence. And that so, makes a lot of sense because yeah. that to me has never been a, yeah. an idea. So we're building a huge mountain of money, Yeah, but it's really, really limited to safe rate of distribution because it wasn't meant to be the place where you're paying yourself 100% of your needs out of it. Right. It's something where there was a foundation built and then the supplemental 3% was just extra. Or maybe there's a year where you take 6% out and the next year you don't touch it, that type of thing. Um, in the, the world we currently live in, there is no foundation and we're asking those assets to be everything. And the math just doesn't add up outside of somebody who's selling a business and just has a windfall of cash or something sure. like that. And so um, the idea of building wealth for the you know upper income, middle-class American is we have to figure out a way to uh, be systematic in our savings, but get out of these, you know, traditional, this is the way it's always been type idea and allocate differently into tools that are not just locked into one singular investor inside of the stock market. And hopefully our rate of return accomplishes the goal. So yeah, it's a little bit of, Hey, we've got to figure out a way to get up the mountain yeah, and then 
uh, find a way to not pay yourself 3% off that money, but there are ways to pay yourself 9 to 12% off that money, which is a lot more uh, feasible. If you have a million bucks and you can pay yourself 10%, a hundred grand a year, then, and that's sustainable without risk, <clears throat> that is the type of planning that's really important to me because now we're talking about something that's actually feasible for somebody to become financially independent. 30 grand a year off a million bucks is not, that's not a real thing. Like that, you will never stop working or become financially independent if that's the type of plan you're in. You could get 10 million bucks and that's still, you know, something where if you're the type of person who has savings capacity to get to 10 million bucks, I would say your lifestyle is probably more than that, you know, type of income would provide anyway. All that to say, for me, it's really important to know that there is a, a different style of planning that's not new. It's just the way kind of wealthy people have been doing it outside of middle class Americans for a long time. That's really important for the average middle class American or upper income earner to start understanding that accomplishes uh, becoming financial, financially independent without having a pension as your foundation from day one. And that makes so much sense. I mean, nobody's ever explained it to me that way where you know, the, the thought has been to provide you with some additional income outside of a, a pension, right? Yeah. And social security is kind of the same thing, yeah, right? Like, exactly. is it even going to be around? Sure. And, you know, how much money are you really going to get once you right. actually get to the age of, of you know, uh, being able to even obtain social security? We, sure. Who knows if it's even still going to be around? So not something we can really bank on. Um, so I'm a realtor and DFW with an established book of business. Yeah. And I want to, you know, a lot of realtors will work forever yeah, <laughs> because for sure. they haven't saved enough money, right? And a lot of individuals are going to have a tough time retiring. I mean, I have a friend who doesn't, I, I don't see how she's going to be able to make it work, right? So somebody comes to you and says, okay, Greg, I'm a 1099 employee. You know, I make, let's say $350,000 sure. a year. I haven't saved a lot. You know, how do you, what are the, what is some advice that you would give them to get started? Yeah. Um, just, I would say, beware of feeling like you need to get lucky. That is a trap. And that's, that's how we feel like we're getting into the, the idea of timing a market, be it Bitcoin or whatever it is, you know, the new sexy thing right now, um, feeling like you're behind the eight ball a little bit creates a sense of urgency where you might take more risk then belongs in your portfolio as an individual investor, just out of the desire to feel like you have to play catch up. Um, and that is a little bit of a dangerous prescription because if that goes bad and you're already behind, then at that point, uh, it's fairly devastating because you've taken another loss on top of feeling like you went Whew, ahead. You're talking about things I can't. Yeah, sure. I have no tolerance for so, essentially the, <laughs> losing all <yeah>. my money. <laughs> yeah, the answer for feeling behind is not take more risk and hope you get lucky with the cool thing right now. Yeah. Um, I think that's great advice. Yeah. Typically it's, Hey, work with somebody who's going to help you build a system that isn't going to need to get lucky. Uh, I, I'm not a, a get rich quick, uh, you know, type of guy. I'm gonna help people build wealth or get rich slow, um, with, with a little more certainty than, um, feeling like you have to, you know, buy the sexiest stock right now. Not saying you have to wait until you're, you know, 65 or 59 and a half to feel like you have money. That's not it at all. But it's it's the idea of you can start funding tools that are just slow churn that actually do what you're hoping they will do as long as the goal isn't 
this year, I'm going to try to make up for all of my, you know, shortcomings and throw $100,000 at this, you know, GameStop thing and just hope it works out and try to jump out at the right, right time. That's just a little dangerous if you're saying... Super scary. Yeah. If you're saying, hey, I have, I have $50,000 in the bank and I have $50,000 in a real estate asset, <clears throat> should I take, you know, a pretty big risk to try to turn that 50 into 150? I don't think a lot of people are doing that. That's a pretty high risk thing. Uh, unless they're the guy that just says, I want the big house with the Lamborghinis or whatever. <laughs> but yeah. most people are, are looking at that scenario and saying, man, I don't, I don't quite know what to do. This GameStop move feels like it might work. And it, sometimes it's a little bit of a, I don't know what else to do. So I'm going to take $10,000 and roll the dice over here and hopefully it works out type deal. And I think you hit a nail on the head there. It's, I don't know what to do. Yeah, sure. That's, that's kind of this, what do I do? Yeah. And, and there's a lot of good financial professionals that are going to help you build a system that's really common. Um, I would say having a system that is not going to require getting lucky to work is is really the the secret sauce. And then it's just being systematic and not being emotional, you know, month to month, quarter to quarter or year to year to feel like you can just kind of chip away at your goal, be it a five-year goal or a 20-year goal or whatever it might be. Just if you're a person that says, this is what I have, this is what I do, uh, in terms of savings or, um, you know, investing asset allocation, you would just hope to sit down across from somebody that would say, great, based on what you're already doing, let me show you something different that accomplishes your goals more efficiently than what you're doing now. And hopefully that comes with less risk as well, because in the, in the world of wealth management and the world of building wealth, the idea of more risk equals more return is kind of, common, you know, common sense. That's what people think uh, you have to do. Take a bunch of risk to make more money. And that is true in certain very high, um, high return type of situations, but you do not have to take high risk to build, you know, very substantial wealth that will help you become financially independent. You might not ever be worth a hundred million dollars, but you might be worth $5 million and pay yourself 300 grand a year out of that and call it good. I think that does call it good. So yeah. I think this is a great place to stop for today. Um, I think it's really interesting, and I want to kind of add this to the end. One of the things that Greg has counseled me on and, and helped me invest in is a product that will allow me to withdraw money to go and buy more real estate. And so all of you real estate professionals out there who are also real estate investors don't think you have to sit there and save your 20%, right? There's other alternative ways for you to build long-term wealth, but also be able to take money out in the short term to continue to build your real estate portfolio. So I think the golden nugget here today is number one, be diverse in, in your outlook. Be very specific in your questions and your goals when you go and talk to someone. And I hope that you'll give Greg Foster an opportunity to sit down with you um, I will have his contact information so you can reach out to me on any of my social media platforms and we'll get a conversation going. So thank you again for another episode and I hope you guys have a great day. Mm -hmm.